The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's show is a real treat for me. Ray Gatt is the Chief Marketing Officer at Flagship Food Group, a consumer packaged goods company and with offices in Boise, Idaho, and throughout the U.S. and the world. Before we dig into Flagship, I want to make sure we really learn about Ray, who he is as a person, what he's passionate about, and what makes him unique and special. I know you'll enjoy our time with Ray. Now, Ray has a saying, if you don't lead, you follow and run the risk of letting others lead you down the wrong path, which is very, very right on the show. Ray's a husband and father, an avid outdoorsman, a golf junkie, and a great friend. In business, he makes things happen and brings results. He motivates, manages, and trains employees to a fault. He has a degree in psychology and marketing from the University of Dayton, I might add, a real hidden gem of a school here in Southern Ohio, for those of you not aware, and has sold to companies around the world. He started in golf's oldest profession, or world's oldest profession, not prostitution, the food industry, and jumped to the high-tech industry and back. He's worked for Board and Food, H.J. Hines, and started his own consulting firm, then president of a small high-tech telecommunications company, president of a marketing and design agency, and now the chief marketing officer of a CPG company. Ray has captained a center-mounted oar raft down class three and four rapids, sailed a 50-foot sailboat in the Caribbean, and hiked over 25 high-altitude lakes in Sun Valley and the Stanley area. He loves fly fishing and has caught salmon trout, sailfish, marlin, and more different types of equipment, including balloons and kites. Ray's best sport is skiing and can even keep up with the kids. He loves powder, 8 inches and 18 degrees is his mantra, and he loves bumps even more. He loves golf with a passion, and he's proud to say he's got one hole-in-one in the bank. He's going for more. He's a partner in Hall Wines in Napa Valley. He's a photographer, a frame maker, and a collector of Peter Lick and Brad photos. He listens and learns everything he can about stocks and macro trends and takes calculated risks to make money. A lot of it. Life of kids with all we can offer in world peace. Ray Gad, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you could be here, man. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, and we'll be certain to kind of cover flagship food group, but I really want to lean in and share a little bit of, about you. I want to learn what you're passionate about, kind of build upon what, what the bio did say from the very beginning. So 
Let's go back uh, to, to, to the, where it all started, if you will. One of my favorite schools, University of Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. Were you originally from Ohio, and what brought you to Dayton? So, uh, no, I actually wasn't. I was born in New York City down the Lower East Side, and uh, we, we were like a lot of people growing up in, those, in that age. Uh, we came from a poor family and kind of had to work hard since I was uh, 9 or 10. And um, always it was aspirational in regards to going to a good school. Um, I actually uh, grew up a Catholic and had a chance to go to Catholic uh, grammar school, um, high school, and, and then uh, Dayton fulfilled that promise by going to a Catholic college. It was a great learning institution, as you uh, have mentioned, and it's, uh, for those that don't know, it's like an Ivy League school in the Midwest, so it's a real pleasure to have gone there. It gave me a good liberal arts education, and uh, when I was going there, which was fascinating, it was right in the middle of the draft, so... Right. I had a cousin that went there, and uh, his number was pulled, took him right out of school, so I knew that it was very hard not to, uh, to really work hard, do well in school, and really kind of set your sights on goals and uh, what you were going to do the rest of your life, not just sure. uh, party the whole time. So Dayton gave me that great environment. Um, I got a chance to meet some very, very exciting and lovely people from the Ohio Valley and from all over the United States. And it set me on my career that I, that I knew that if I could put my head down, work hard, I could be, accomplish anything and uh, lead instead of follow. You know, it's interesting because it just kind of came up yesterday. I've got a son that goes to a, a Catholic high school. I've got a daughter that goes to a Catholic high school as well, Boy, all boys and all girls. Uh-huh. And my, uh, my daughter is, um, is now a junior, so she's looking at schools. And Dayton just came up yesterday. She said, you know, uh, a lot of friends from her school, Magnificat, go to Dayton. She said, I think I'm going to take a look at Dayton. I said, that's it. You know what? It's interesting because I knew I was going inter- to interview you today. Have you been back there in a while, Ray? Um, yeah, I had a chance to go to a reunion. Um, what I was impressed because, I mean, we're talking 1974 is when I graduated. Yep. Yep. And um, we lived in a little place called the Ghetto. They cleaned it up. Um, it's a great little environment right off of campus, uh, very safe. Um, and, and like I said, the uh, it really has that Ivy League tradition associated with brick buildings, Ivy on the walls, great uh, quad. And, uh, you know, I th- you know, everything I read about it now, it's just they've just done a great job in continuing the education first, but then yep. really preparing you for life. Well, it's interesting. My son, um, flipping back from my daughter to my son, um, Spencer is uh, is a freshman in high school and plays uh, pretty competitive travel baseball. So we go down to Dayton probably once or twice a year for different tournaments. And that's the thing to add upon. And I know we were talking academics in, in, in that respect. And the um, But they've got such a great, great sports program that ties directly to they're academics. I mean, they're, it's just it's just a very cool environment, and one I was pleasantly surprised. And um, I would go back to Dayton in a heartbeat, and I'm definitely pulling for my daughter to, uh, to choose Dayton as a, uh, as a college of choice. How do you like that? Well, uh, I'll write her a reference if she needs one, okay? There you go. Perfect. All Thank right. you for that. Now, a degree in psychology and marketing. Now, I'm not sure if at the time you were thinking that out. Was that a combination you kind of – we're thinking of at the time, or but now you look back and think, goodness gracious, um, that's really genius. Did you? Yeah, you know, me. You know, did you think of that going in? No, um, uh, I don't know. I think the word mentor wasn't invented when I was growing up. Um, I just uh, kind of went down a path. I remember my first declared major was actually geology, and I go, geez, I don't want to walk around with a bunch of rocks in my pocket. <laughs> and then. Uh, 
And then I go, well, you know, because it was trendy. I said, let me go into psychology. And then I go, I didn't want to walk around with a bunch of heads in my pocket. And so (laughs) how am I going to apply this to a business model that I wanted to really get indulged in? And um, and then I realized that using the psychology background um, and then coupling it with marketing would give me a really competitive edge. And when I walked away from school, I realized that I could assess a situation very easily. I understood people well. I knew how to change behavior. I I leaned more towards the behaviorist side than a Freudian side. And then um, getting the word out through the marketing classes that I took um, was very appropriate in giving me a career. So once I started to do that, I said, okay, well, you know, I got to test that. That's kind of like sharpening a sword with fire and uh, iron. Um, I was able to use those skills to start to move into uh, testing my skills in communications um, and getting my point across. And that's where I uh, started my career when I got out of school at Borden. And I just think it's really interesting because the the successful marketing, I don't care whether we're looking back into those uh, 70s, into the 80s, um, you know, it's it's, uh, the most successful campaigns are the ones that have a tie-in with psychology. You know, how do shoppers thinking, or what do shoppers think about when they see a package, or what do they, um, or how do shoppers react with, um, I, I don't care, I'm just making this stuff up, a, a high spike in prices or something. But there is such a psychology behind it, and, and a lot of people just don't tie the two together, and I just think that was absolutely brilliant. Well, I, I'm thank you, and a little bit of lucky, um, I, I think you're exactly right, uh, no, I, I, I truly believe is, is really the way to sell anything, the way to communicate anything is to really kind of work on emotion. Right. Um, even as a manager, I, I try to bring out the best of my people by emotionally dealing with what their needs are. So that translates into not just your good employees, but good consumers. And so from a brand design to a packaging, if you can make them smile, connect, you'll have them for a very, very, very long time. Well, even, you know, and I'm bouncing back to even your, your bio at the beginning. I mean, just reading that, and that's kind of why I wanted to make sure we, sp- we spent some time with, with Ray Gad, um, the person, because there is that bit of a, just reading that was an emotional kind of, this guy is just, you just want to hang out with you, you know, and it's just, it's a really cool setup, and I'm not blowing smoke. It's just a very, very comfortable, um, there is a lot of times I've done thousands of these interviews, and a lot of times, I, there are times when I'm apprehensive about, gee, what am I going to talk about with this person? There wasn't that with this, Ray. I was really looking forward to it because it's like, man, I could sit down and really and truly just kind of hang out with you. And, and that's what makes these fun for me. So thank you in advance. How you like that? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, you know, you write that down. And, and candidly, I probably uh, had four or five drafts before I put it on LinkedIn and, um, and then used that as my exposure. A couple things to comment on about that is that, you know, we all need to understand that we are, are, we have a brand and we have to recognize what our brand is and what we want to communicate to others and how aspirational or whatever kind of position you want in your life. What do you want to do? And then, you know, I basically opened my soul and shared what I've been able to accomplish and what some of my passions are with my my friends and connections, and they get a good understanding from me. So it creates dialogue, good discussion. And uh, it's funny when when you have somebody like myself that likes to do a lot of different things, I end up being able to find a lot of different friends that do those different things with me. So um, 
Branding is important. Making sure your own brand is relevant um, and emotional, and and then communicating that to um, your product lines. Uh, we'll talk more about some of the things we're doing today, but uh, it's as I do share myself with my friends and my peers. I like to sh- share all of the good qualities of our products with sure. my consumers, so they they really have that emotional bond and feel good about. The products that they're going to serve to their families. Well, and, and again, there is that psychological connection. There is an emotional connection that kind of I can see back through um, even your earlier days at H.J. Hines and some of the brands you were working on with them. And I just find it really interesting how kind of, quote unquote, life works out, if you will, Ray, um, uh-huh. because it's what you're what you're passionate about now. It's kind of like you haven't changed. You're the same guy um, is, is, is your passion and, and how it kind of connects with your consumers or those people that buy your products um, goes back to your days with Heinz and Starkist Tuna and Orida French Fries. I mean, I, I just think it's really cool how that's all kind of working out. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, I got one uh, anecdotal story. Um, so when I was running the military commissary system and selling all the Heinz portfolios, we had our challenges to try to build the business. And in those days, um, Gerber, as they are today, is the dominant baby food brand. Right. Well, Heinz was a sleepy little, you know, baby food company that had, uh, oh, maybe a 10 share. And we split the rest of it with, um, 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 Beach Nut. So yeah, it was right. Gerber, right. Beach Nut, and, yep. and Heinz. Yep. And we really started to think about what would the consumer want? How would we go against the big gorilla? And we started a whole campaign, kind of a grassroots one, really showing the military consumer that they could save money by buying Heinz and making sure that they felt that they could trust us. And we've started a campaign uh, via networking about the quality and integrity of our products. We utilized um, a a very competitive pricing. And then we just proved that uh, we could actually do as good a job and protect our babies from any kind of harmful foods and make moms feel good about serving Heinz baby food. And I'm pleased to say when I left that position, we had um, just shy of 51% of the category. So um, something I'm very proud of using that same tactic of really getting and wrapping my head around who the consumer is, what was important to them, and then communicating those benefits. Well, and you're talking about, you know, the, the, the buzzword these days. I mean, we're talking about, you're talking consumer, and I know you've heard it because it's, um, is the personas. You know, another word is the personas. Who are those people that are buying your product? Or who are those moms that are um, looking and, and, and looking to buy baby food? And, um, and let me ask you a question. As a kid that's originally from Pittsburgh, as a matter of fact, Heinz, of course, is the mothership, right? Um, right. How much of an interaction did you have back in those days? Because I know you were, in, you were in Boise, I believe, at the time. But how much interaction did you have with uh, HQ, if you would? Um, so my um, my actual boss um, lived in Pittsburgh, and so I was there, you know, twice uh, twice a quarter at least. Nice. And so we ended up um, having to write business plans and getting them approved. We were part of the overall financial budget. I was on the same organizational chart as Tony O'Reilly, who was the leader oh, at yeah. the time. So, oh, yeah. So um, I got a chance to um, be in some very influential meetings and get to know some, some many talented individuals that came up in that generation before me that were, you know, for the most part in some of the wars, understood strategy, knew how to really kind of draw defensive lines. So I had that good corporate training 
um, very fundamental that blocking and tackling, understanding what your objectives it, it was, and making sure that there was no battle that was too big. And if you lost one, you went out and tried to make sure you won the war. Man, that's fascinating because you just brought back Tony O'Reilly. I mean, that's a name from the past, too. I mean, I just remember him because you were talking about influential. I mean, that guy was a yeah. titan back in the days. You know, he was unbelievable. Oh, I mean, the gentleman is incredible. He, you know, he's an Irishman that had a yep. great vocabulary, great uh, storyteller, and uh, not only ran Heinz, but ran the newspapers in Ireland, owned Waterford Crystals. He had so much bandwidth and was able to contribute so much. His uh, One of his major accomplishments, and he started his career, was branding Kerry Gold. And uh, the name just rolls off your tongue. It's an Irish <laughs> butter that's in many grocery stores still today. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. So yeah, let's so move on from, high, from... We had a lot of competition for talent. And so to stand out in the organization, you really had to work hard, work smart, and, and be uh, show some success. Well, and that, and, and again, it's interesting how the juggernaut still continues, if you will. You know, with H.J. Hines and, and Kraft Foods, was it last year they joined forces? So that'll be interesting to see where that, um, that uh, mammoth 900-pound gorilla continues to go. Should be interesting. Hey, well, let's let's move in a little bit further if we can. After Heinz then moved on to uh, marketing, a few marketing consulting firms, even president and strategic director of Muri Design. Tell us about your time there. Um, that's a fascinating one. So um, one of the things um, I can tell all your listeners is, um, is that I've learned is that don't be afraid to change jobs. And if you love where you live, don't be afraid about trying to figure out how to take a job, create a job in the community that you want to live and spend your life at. Um, when I was with um, Borden, I started in New Jersey. When I was, they moved me to Chicago. When I was in Chicago, I picked up with Orida Hines. I stayed in Chicago for a while. Then they moved me to Boise. And then I kind of found a home. And in those days, it was a real challenge because if you didn't, when they, te- they to- told you to move, if you didn't move, you were like, oh, I'm a leper. I'll never get right. a job. Right. And um, while I didn't like Pittsburgh, I actually just fell in love with Idaho. So right. I said, let me figure out how to make my career here. I had a couple of different projects that I worked on. And then I, somehow the, just the door opened where I was got into the, the uh, marketing and advertising realm uh, and working for an agency. And um, I had, had a gentleman that brought me in that said um, – I know you have all the skills and success levels that, uh, from the past being in consumer packaged goods. Um, I want you to work with me and build my team and um, make this a bigger, better design firm in Boise, Idaho. And in those days, you know, you used to have to live in Chicago or New sure. York or San Francisco, L.A. And um, and we basically proved we didn't. So I, my, my, uh, I, I don't like to go back and do the same thing over as a rule. Um, and so I, I took this as a, a great challenge, and um, I started my career pitching high-tech companies. And so the biggest one was Hewlett-Packard was kind of in our back door. So I had the opportunity to say, how can I take my food experience, right. which was the oldest profession, yep. and translate it into the high-tech, which is probably the newest. Right. And so I found that my background provided a lot of good um, strategies to take to the high tech field to communicate to consumers the benefits of the different products that HP had. 
That's fascinating because, again, at the end of the day, you're still going back to your days at Dayton using your psychology background because you're thinking your way through these things. There is no, like I've told not only our kids, but, you know, employees or whatever, if there was a magic book, if there was a magic uh, button to push, we would have done that a long time ago. A, a big part of what we have to do is what you were just describing is thinking your way strategically through these things. And, and, and let's face it, Ray, a lot of times that stuff doesn't work uh, exactly as we planned, but we learn from it and then we and we pivot and we we pivot again. And that's exactly what you're describing there. And that was a really that's really, really cool. Well, thanks. You. The, um, I think what we learn is skills, not necessarily patterns uh, right. or, 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 you know, motion. Kind of like a good example in golf, right? So in golf, you know, I mean, if you go out and you hit the same ball all the time, you, you know how to learn that shot. Yeah. But guess what? Golf, um, if you go out and play, you have a million different shots and you don't always hit that one you really want to hit. Right. So I think what you're doing when you're, when kids growing up and, and people in their, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, they have to recognize they're learning a set of skills not to do one thing. And so I was able to learn how to sell, learn how to strategize, learn how to, um, compete and, and build a, a better mousetrap. Uh, one of the, my favorite career stories is that, uh, so HP was going on one of these kicks where they wanted to reduce the number of agencies. And we had this value niche spot, which we were able to show them how we could save money and, and our time to market was faster than all the bigger guys. So we, I mean, I can't go out and price against, in those days it was publishers right. and say I'm the same price and, and I'm going to take a month to get it done. I had to say I can turn this around in a week and I'm about a thir- you know, 70% of the price. And, and the people at HP were like, well, this is way too good. You know, how can you do that? Well, that's who we are. That's our business model. We can live like that. We don't have a lot of layers of bureaucracy. So we built a transparent organization with few layers and open book pricing. So we were able to walk into an HP and they go, we love you. So at the end, they were trying to figure out how to reduce the number of vendors. And, you know, they invited um, myself and my team to come to Palo Alto. So we flew down there. I'll never forget. I bought a new suit. <laughs> um, nice tie showed up and it was one of those, um, big U shaped, uh, meeting rooms where they had tables down the left, uh, a oh, U yeah. and then the tables up to the right. And we were given a series of problems to solve for them. And, um, and, and candidly, when I get you know, speaking and I get on a roll, I get a little bit of energy, uh, going with me. Yep. And at one point in time, um, um, they asked us to basically design a brochure and I took a completely radical, different approach using more of my, this is how consumers can easily understand it. I couldn't understand, I couldn't share it with you if I didn't share it this way. So at the end of the presentation, we had a couple of, I want to say naysayers in the back. And I can remember walking to the back of this oh, 20 foot U and, and being able to look in the person's eye and say, this is the way I recommend to do it. This is the way I can take HP further. And the, it, went, it went hush. The person had never had anybody st- stand up and say, because well, they were throwing problems, why it wouldn't work, why it wouldn't work. And I go, no, no, you have to believe me. And I remember walking out of there saying, I'm not sure if I got the account, but I sure feel good about the presentation. And uh, sure enough, we got the account. You know, and, and again, back in the heyday, and like you were describing, I mean, HP was the was was that 900-pound gorilla as well. I mean, yeah. not anybody. You have to be different. You have to stand out. And, and I mean, and geez, oh, man, that is awesome. How do you like that? It's crazy. 
Yeah, I'm very blessed to have those opportunities to, you know, get out and lead, to, to make some bold statements and um, and have some fun. Now, I, I picture you with a um, with a scotch in one hand, a cigarette in the other, a.k.a. like Don Draper uh, yeah. at that particular point um, back in the agency days. No? Um, I never smoked, um, and uh, but for sure we would uh, have uh, um, Jack, <laughs> drinking Jack Daniels and uh, celebrating our success. You know, I just because, it, it, and I don't know if you were a Mad Men fan, but I just remember yeah. back in the days of of watching watching some of that because my my wife's family kind of came up through New York City um, with an advertising background, and she described that was way, the way her grandfather described those days of the the four or five martini lunch and the uh, the uh, expensive um, the, or the great big uh, expense account, you know that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I I've I've I've, had, I've lived all that too. My career, yes, I've done that. <laughs> Where uh, unfortunately you had to take a cab back home from lunch. Oh yeah. And uh, the rule of thumb is uh, don't go into the office in case that happens to you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, after one of those lunches. Um, and uh, and then last but not least, yes, the expense accounts are. Uh, I had the pleasure of working in, in a lot of promotions with Heinz, and I had the uh, I had the privilege and opportunity to run a lot of uh, amazing incentive programs where I was able to uh, build a incentive. Uh, program that was designed to motivate um, 250 different sales brokers to sell our products. And uh, the prize was to take uh, this team to um, the Bahamas for spring break. So I had the luxury of being in the Bahamas for spring break for 10 years in a row. So, Ah, geez. You know, I'm telling you, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember. I remember back in my days. Um, you know, one of the one of the things I was going up against a guy. I think it was trying to sell Royal Appliance, the Dirt Devil, the vacuum cleaner, yeah. right? And uh-huh. um, this this is, and I'm going head to head with this guy, and we're a small outfit, and uh, and this guy comes rolling in there. He's with General Electric, and this is pre internet, pre everything else, and he basically just kind of came right out and, and said, Ray, and I, I was envious at the time. He goes, I've got an unlimited expense account. So I'm going to take this guy and his wife skiing uh, in Vail over the weekend. So I'm like, oh, for the love of Pete, there is no way I can compete with this. Yeah. Um, but that's, the you know, again, there's a lot of that stuff. That's the way business was done back in those days. And, I mean, it's just like, goodness gracious. Love, luckily, um, you know, there's been a leveling of the playing field, if you will. Yes, but even in those days, a good salesperson would understand what were, I mean, what are the real benefits or what what is that person's sweet spot? I have one of my sales guys is one of the best guys ever, Greg Davis, and he worked with me at Heinz and he would walk around with his binder, you know, to take notes and everything else, but he had pictures of his wife and his two kids. And eighty percent of the people he interfaced with, he showed those pictures to them and they loved him. And all because people like family. And so, yes, you can do it entertaining and doing it the other way, but there's always a, a different twist. And don't be afraid to be creative. Um, oh, sorry, I, I hesitate for a minute. I, I have to share this story. So uh, in, in the same vein, and maybe Greg taught me a little bit about this, um, we had a product at one point in time uh, in my current company, actually, that we had a quality issue. And so we ended up having to pick it up, um, and we wanted to just because we wanted to make sure we had the best quality. But this buyer um, 
basically, you know, said, Hey, we're not going to buy your product forever until you get uh, all your act together. And I'm like, okay, okay. I understand completely. Let me get my act together. So what we did is we retooled the process. We fixed the problem. We actually got an inspection. Uh, the FDA approved everything we were doing and she was still balking. She wasn't going to make the move because it was just more risk on her part. And I had to convince her that everything was fixed. So I'll never forget. I had um, I, I'm uh, I breed, I'm breeding uh, golden doodles, and I have oh yeah, a new, right, we've got one. Okay, I had a new puppy. Uh, his name was Frankie, and so um, I wrote a letter to an email to this buyer, and I said, Hey, I've, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and then I said, and, and I think it's time now to bring us back in the store, and uh, I said, My boss thanks you. My family thanks, uh, I thank you and, and Frankie thanks you. And I sent her a photo of Frankie sitting there with a poster that says, Jeez. thank you, Sandy. <laughs> and she emailed me immediately and said, that's not fair. And how fast can you get your ass down here just so I can get you back in? You know, it's, it's, isn't it interesting because you said something about that a little while ago on how, you know, hitting somebody's hot button, if you will, and everybody has kind of that connection. And, and Frankie for her obviously was, was one thing, but you're right. And I love the, um, uh, the example of, of the salesperson with pictures of his family because that, that isn't enough, you know, it's again, whether it's a personal thing where that guy is, is reminded what he's working so hard for, or he uses it to remind those others that, you know what? I'm going to run through a brick wall because I'm working for my family here. I'm not just working for the man, whoever the man right. is. You know what I mean, Ray? And yeah, I just for think sure. That's really, really cool. And, so. and, and you know, if you're talking about like we started the conversation, if it's trying to con- connect with a customer, a buyer, a friend, there's if you understand, you take the time to listen and evaluate and look for the what that's important to them. You can do it with a lot of money or no money. Right. Exactly. That's fascinating. Hey, I want to segue and make sure we touch base on a few other things before we really dig into the flagship food group. But um, now you've got an interest in Hall Wines from the Napa Valley. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, you know, it's one of those things is, you know, you're kind of lucky. You build your friends up um, and, and you end up finding people that you relate to really well. And um, one of the gentlemen that I worked with in my, throughout my career, including um, Heinz, was uh, a buddy of mine that lived on the West Coast. And um, he introduced me to Hall Wine on, on a, um, a fishing trip one time. And Hall Wines is out of Napa Valley. Um, it's owned uh, as, a, as a basically a privately held company in an LLC that I was a, uh, able to be introduced to the wine. And at one point in time, I was introduced into the LLC where I could become a, a small partner. That's but Hall nice. Wines um, basically started from uh, Craig Hall, who's a developer out of Texas, and his wife, and he was the ambassador to Austria. Wow. And so they came back from Austria after serving under the Clinton administration and bought, started to buy some land in Napa and working on wine and bringing in talented individuals and subsequently have this beautiful tasting room right there in the heart of Napa Valley. And they have a home in New Rutherford. And what they've done over the years is figured out the best people to make the best wines and using the grapes as they are given, depending upon whatever kind of season it is. But I'm pleased to say that um, Hall Wine has actually, uh, this is the second year in the last four, 
that they've secured a hundred point rating on a Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc for um, by Robert Parker. And I so, and I saw that. I mean, and I when I was when I was doing some research for the show, I saw that I was like, I did a double take to kind of go back, and and it's it's legit. I mean, this is the real deal. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe because I up to that point I liked their wine and I liked the earthiness, the cigar flavors associated with their cabs. They've done an excellent job in, in their Pinots right now. They're doing them out of Sonoma Valley where the you know the, the days are sunny and hot, but the morning and the evening are fog uh, driven. Um, they've got a, a great kind of oaky Chardonnay and then a really amazing Sauvignon Blanc uh, that's uh, very very uh, um, light and bright. But um, to I had to do a double take like you did when because uh, you don't hear about a hundred point wine. You, you know, yeah. You go, you go to the wine store in ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Wow, ninety six. You know, but yeah, I mean, a uh, hundred point wine. It was amazing. I still have uh, two bottles left, and then I got two bottles of the new release too coming. So, uh, <laughs> well, well, that's that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the beauty of being a partner in, in Hall Wines, right? Uh, yes, um, I just I, I was able to buy into that program. Uh, to be a partner and uh, is a great vehicle for one um, drinking wine, obviously sure. some of the best. Right. It does raise yep. your standards. Uh, number two, you meet some amazing people. I had a chance to go on um, a cruise this summer, and we went as a group of sixty individual partners um, on the Silver Seas. We flew into Rome and then went um, throughout the um, throughout Italy, Corsica, Sardinia, Monaco, and Cannes. And um, we're able to stop in outside Florence and sure. go to the Anatori family uh, winery and meet some of the uh, most amazing uh, people in the world. They've been selling wine for hundreds of years. I mean, they basically oh. started the Wine Guild. And we got to meet uh, one of the daughters that's actually um, running the winery, which is was just very impressive. So I've oh. got a chance to... Uh, um, sit down at uh, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant um, with another gentleman um, and and order some wine and, and suggest that Hall Wine was a good one. And the fact that uh, these other high entrepreneurial people in the food industry actually knew this, um, it was amazing. So it's one of those kind of things. As you look for your career, you got to figure out who your brand is. And uh, yeah, right. somehow I've, I've, I've gravitated to wine, um, fine art in, in regards to photography things like that and surrounded myself with those kind of people and those kind of uh, projects. Well, and it shows because it kind of, it, it sort of vibrates through your entire being. And I mean that, I mean, it's just, it's a really cool setup. And one of the things I want to make sure that, that, that you come back and talk about, cause I want to dig into flagship food group here in a second. But one of the things that you're passionate about, same thing I'm passionate about, but I don't want to take time away from flagship is the Sportsplex Idaho and the 501 C3 um, being involved in, and, and, and children developing, empowering and encourage them through sports. Um, you know, it has so much to do with, um, you know, bullying and obesity and substance abuse and prevention of those things. And, um, and, and I, and I really and truly, I'm serious. I want you to come back and we're going to focus on that going forward because that's just a passion of mine that you have no idea how that resonates. Oh, great. Hey, well, let's dig into Flagship Food Group. So Flagship Food Group is strategically focused on building a retail business around consumer brands that offers quality, variety, nutrition, and value. Today, uh, Flagship features 10 different brands and offers these qualities in over 30,000 retail, grocery, club, mass merchant, dollar outlets throughout the U.S. Their brand portfolio includes many of the staples used in homes every day, including 
On the store, you will find frozen potatoes, vegetables, fruit, chicken, breakfast items under their TJ Farms brand. If you want to try great-tasting Hispanic food, look no further than their 505 Southwestern brand, frozen or refrigerated appetizers, meals, bowls, and handheld snacks. Also under the 505 Southwestern brand is a line of all-natural gluten-free sauces, cooking sauces, condiments featuring Hatch Valley chili. New to their portfolio is their all-natural, better-for-you brand called Lily Bees. This brand is dedicated to delivering healthy products that taste great. Lily be approved. So let's dig in a little bit further because, Ray, I know you're involved. You've got the flagship food service group. You've also got the flagship 360 packaging group, which is a turnkey packaging solutions. So I'm just going to kind of give us a, a nice kind of uh, um, overview, if you will, or I want us to kind of go. So your primary responsibility is the strategic direction of your food business. When you say set the direction, tell me a little bit more about what that means. Okay, that that could be a mouthful. So um, hold on. Yeah, I, that's uh, why I wanted to make sure we gave us plenty of time. How do you like? That? Uh, okay, great. So um, you know, first off, I, we, I've got a great team here, and we've got uh, upper management that really supportive of all the crazy ideas I might come up with. Sometimes they bring me back back down to earth, but uh, you know, the the two things that I do here mostly is come up with great ideas, and then. Um, Make sure that we can execute against them. The, the challenge is uh, there's a million great ideas, but if they don't execute well, then you can't do it. So I'll give you an example. Um, when it comes to uh, this, the whole product concept of Lily Bees, this is a brand that we're starting from scratch that would be somewhat similar to our TJ Farms because it would be, uh, it would be across a multiple portfolio kind of staple. Um, and then, but, but really be focused on organic, all natural, gluten free, GMO free. And so it's going to be a brand that more for the healthy consumer out there. Yeah. Kind of right. dovetailing uh, on a kind of a look and a feel of an Amy's or, or an Annie's. Um, so what we're trying to do is to source that product and develop the brand portfolio um, for Lily Bees. So, in our organization, we're coming up with a couple of different names. We have a different, um, um, we have a pool of things. And here's a great example. So I was leaning more towards the generic, um, and I came up with a, a, a brand was able to trademark it called Naturally Fr- uh, Fresh. And, sorry, Naturally Free. And that name then translated to GMO-free, all-natural, gluten-free, sure. organic. Um, we started brainstorming as a group here and, and input from my CEO and then the founder of, of, of Flagship. Um, and we basically said, hey, we want to connect a little bit more like Amy's and Annie's. So what happens then is we started to talk about how what would be a good name, what would be the positioning. And so as a group, I don't want to take any or all the credit, but as a group, we were able to come up and solidify Lily B, which was, you know, Rob Holland's daughter's name. Wow. And, and so, so now we've, got, we've gone from, okay, we want to get this free here, this organic here, and then build this platform. And we, we picked the products that we wanted to go after. And then we collectively came up with the name. So then at that point in time, we all agreed it would work. So I had to make sure that, we, one, we could trademark it. Two, that we could, you know, basically buy a URL for a website. Three, that we had a positioning statement. So I, and then I, working with a team of designers, actually uh, art directed the designing of the logo. So in the logo, we use a B. 
um, and it's a smiley, happy bee, which which tends to kind of communicate to the consumer, you know, hopefully mom, that we're a family-friendly brand. Right. Um, part of our, our, our tagline is be healthy, B-E-E, because we can't make a claim for B-E. So what we're trying to do is kind of be healthy. And so when you go to our website and you talk about that, we're all about trying to educate the consumer on why it's better for them to eat in a more um, – better for you foods, organic, gluten-free, GMO-free. So we do a little communication thing. So I was able to write the, uh, work with a team to write the website, design the pictures, do the photography. Um, we came up with this concept for mealtime moments where um, one of the challenges we find that when consumers go home and they eat, even if it's as simple as a chicken nugget meal, they can make that meal a better uh, uh, experience for the whole family by creating a mealtime moment. So asking them, the children in the room, what, you know, what, what was their, um, their, what the favorite thing they want to say to their friend? Um, what about writing a letter after dinner? Um, creating some activities. My boss got his, uh, his, um, his daughter and he sat down to make a kite. So there's actually a video on our website on how to make a kite. And so we tried to commit, create this brand that was all, you could see it out there today, but Nobody, I don't think, brings it together like we do in family, friends, quality products. Um, and, and that's the, the, the best thing about it. You know, we said that we weren't going to put anything on the market that wouldn't taste good. And we were doing a consumer cutting in here. And um, we had uh, this woman who was celiac. And we sat her down and we had her try our chicken nugget. And she hadn't had a chicken nugget in 20 years. Wow. And she tried ours, and it was perfectly fit her diet and her palate. Um, she raved about it, and she just thanked us because we were able to provide something that she was never able to have based on her celiac condition. So let me, let me stay with that for a second because it's fascinating. So start to finish, backtracking a little bit, you guys got together, and I, and I, and I, and I heard you loud and clear that it was definitely a team approach. Um, with the whole Lily Bees. But at the time, did you guys, do, do you give yourself like, we need to do this in six months? We need to do this and have products ready to sell in nine months? Is that a year process? How long does that whole thing take? So, Flagship, like many other companies, has a portfolio. And if you look at our portfolio, we said we have our staples, which would be our TJ Farms items that we would tend to pay the light bulbs with. We, we have our 505 brand where we own a factory. We're able to produce products and, and create consumer value immediately. And then we have a, we always were looking for something out there. What's the next generation? And Lily Bees was the next generation. And, you know, it's really a five year kind of business plan. And how do you go about getting the consumer engaged? And candidly, it's, it, you don't always hit a home run. Um, sure. Uh, and more importantly, you'll find that there's certain niches. In the grocery business, it's fascinating. So you have to appeal to consumers, but more importantly, you have to, compute, uh, to appeal to the buyer who's going to put right. you on the shelf. Yeah, the retailers. Um, and, 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 you know, sometimes, you know, we talk about all the money in the world really helps. Well, you know, there's this thing called slotting allowances, and sometimes sure. you can actually just buy your way on the shelf, but you got to make sure your products work. In other instances, that you can, you can have all the money in the world and you can't convince the buyer to bring it in because you're bidding for that space. Um, one of our, our keys to success is getting with the buyers and listening to the buyers to their pain points. And you'll find that in flagship, that's one of our major attributes 
is to be able to listen to our customers, both the buyers and the end user, find out what they want, and then make sure you work really hard on giving it to them. And then as they talk to you, modifying it to make sure that it continues to deliver their expectations. Now, and how do you, and I think that's brilliant, by the way, how do you guys go about that? I mean, I would imagine at some particular point you've got, um, I mean, I'm sure just like any other business, you've got friends in the industry and you've got existing customers. You can say, hey, Joe, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Let's talk. Um, But I mean, to sit down with somebody and really and truly, I mean, that doesn't that sound, I mean, it sounds like to me, and I think it's fascinating that you guys can literally and that's kind of props for flagship is you're able to literally kind of create what the buyer is saying they want. You're not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. You're going, hey, if celiac disease and gluten-free, these other things are buzzwords, and you feel, Mr. Buyer, that this would be a smart move for us, well, then you go out and create something for you for that. Um, that's not easy to do, No. You know, um, if you have the right attitude, it's not that hard. I would say the harder part is having the right people in the right place to get in front of the right buyer at the right time. The, the, I'll give you a good example. Um, we're currently working with Costco, which is a great partner of ours, and they shared with us, um, look at our portfolio of burritos. Right. And so we're looking at, you know, what is out there, um, what can we do better? What can we do different? And, and not to name any competitors or anything like that. But we started to look at all the different burritos out there, what was in them, what tasted good, what didn't, what could we do to improve? And we started to get into the, the mind of the consumer on how they eat a burrito. So, And this is kind of fascinating because your first thought would be is we should make the most the greatest tasting burrito in the world. Well, it's besides like Heinz ketchup, there's, nobody likes the same thing. Right. Um, that each each consumer likes the burrito a little bit differently. We found that consumers like the doctor burrito up. Yep. But what we did is we looked at the competition and we said, okay, how can we make a burrito that is a little bit better for you than the competition? And in this one particular case, one of the competitors had made with organic ingredients and we were able to basically go back and said we're 100 percent organic and so we kind of check marked that off for 100 percent organic burrito we made a rice bean and cheese and then we didn't try to put too much sauce in it to make it polarizing we made it a little bit bland on purpose realizing that when the consumer got home so they they could doctor it on salsa or whatever they wanted to make it to taste good but they wanted to feel good about eating you know serving a product for their children, that was a little bit blander, that was good for them. For them, they could just add a little bit more. They wanted to put sour cream or guacamole yep, or a salsa yep, on, yep. or they could do that. That's so we not, only, we not only look at the consumer, um, sorry, the customer, uh, uh, and, and who our competition was. We asked the buyer what they might need. We worked with them on their price points, and then we started to do some little uh, focus groups on what the consumer was looking for when they came to eating a burrito. You know, there's a lot, and again, the the, the rule here, or the um, I guess you could say the sixty four thousand dollar aha moment, as I'm listening to you, is there's a lot more that goes into this than just kind of you know that meets the eye, you know. So, yeah. um, you know, just as you guys are spending all this time and thinking your way through this, I mean, I I know our listeners are going, wow, I had no clue that there was this much involved. 
We've got about five minutes in today's show, and I want to make sure we really give you some time because I know you guys are really proud of the proud the 505 Southwestern brand in and your partnership with Hatch Valley Farmers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, that, that one's, it is my passion. Um, I used to work at uh, Starkist and we had this one sales manager there and I swore if you cut him, he would bleed uh, tuna oil. And um, I, I think if you cut me, you'll, you'll get some chili oil. So, uh, uh, you know, that one was like a passion. I, I remember like you talked about aha moments. Um, we, we had just bought the brand and we were marketing it. And I was talking to a, one of the buyers actually at Costco. And he had said, um, why don't you use the word Hatch Valley on your chilies? Isn't that where you get them from? And, and I go, you know, I don't know. And come to find out, I talked to the, the owner that we had bought the company from, um, is that there was a gentleman that had the opportunity to trademark the word hatch uh, years ago before the, um, I want to say the U.S. Department of Trademarks had their act together. Um, and because it, it's really just, it's an appellation. It's something that shouldn't be trademarked. And, and candidly, I think everybody would agree today. So... I was the one that kind of guys, well, okay, tell me more. So I learned more. I started a little bit more about the Hatch Valley. It's a town down in southern New Mexico. They, it's, um, it was basically formed from, um, the flooding of the Rio Grande. Um, and they, and so over the years, the soil eroded and it dumped into the Hatch Valley. There's an aquifer from the, uh, from the Rio Grande, um, plains that dumps the water in there. This, it basically gets hot, sunny days and cooler nights. And you put that all together, it's this really fertile, growing region with abundant water. So um, it was basically um, migrated, and the population was uh, from, there were Austrians. And they ended up going really? through New York, Chicago, and then, God forbid, down to Hatch, New Mexico. And so you had this perfect growing condition. They found that there's these chilies there that grow, grew very well, and, and they coined the, you know, the Appalachian, Appala uh, Hatch Valley um, um, chilies. So over the years, they developed you know, these different strains, and, and we've just capitalized on that. So the good news about it, a lot of the chilies in, um, that are put in either in salsas or in, in cans come yep. from Mexico. So we're a big supporter of U.S. grown Hatch Valley chilies. Um, we're really involved in the community. We partner with the growers to talk about technology, when they're going to pull them, how to create different salsas and condiments from them. And, it, it, you know, so I, I was the one that was able to kind of step up and says, we need to market this. We marketed not Hatch, but Hatch Valley. So we right. have the whole appellation. Yep. And then we started to really kind of tee off on working with the state of New Mexico. So if you look at our, our 505 logo, it is morphed to use the Zia, which is actually represented in the flag of New Mexico as a back, background. 505 is the area code for all of New Mexico, for at least for now. Um, and together, we're very proud of that 505 Southwestern brand. We've um, partnered with the state and done a great job. We just put a new factory in there, and uh, we love the people of New Mexico and uh, the fact that we have these Hatch Valley chilies that we were able to put in our sauces, our cooking sauces, and our condiments. That's, you know, it's that classic great feel-good story because you really are doing good uh, while doing well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, for the most part, especially going up back east, um, that, that commercial that talked about uh, these chilies are made in New York City always resonated with me. 
myself being a um, from New York um, and then growing to love chilies. And, and the beauty of our chilies is that we don't really work on really the hottest chilies. We, we use chilies as a flavor enhancer sure, of the product. Right. And if you, you – we had less – this Sunday on the, for the Super Bowl at home, just our, our Hatch Valley uh, chili – with um, honey and chipotle flavorings in there. And it's wow. just a smoky, sweet flavor with these bits of chilies coming out. And so we don't actually put onions in our chilies. We put the, you know, the Hatch Valley chili in our, mm-hmm. excuse me, in our sauces. Wow. So it's been really fun to market. And, and a ball, I, I've had the pleasure of working with the state of New Mexico. And I think we're the first ones to ever do this. We were actually putting travel posters of the state of New Mexico on our labels for our salsa. And you say, well, why? Well, we want to be an authentic Hatch Valley, New Mexican style salsa or chili. And partnering with the state, they've granted us to be the first 100% certified New Mexico chili company in the state uh, state's history. That's fantastic. So, hey, I, yeah. think I got it. We're running out of time here, Ray. I'm yeah. going to make sure I, I spend, I wanted, I had a feeling this was going to happen. I want you to come back because I want to dig into just this Hatch Valley thing as well. Cause I think that's fascinating. Um, I want to thank you for spending time with us today, Ray. The time flew by. We didn't take any breaks. We went nonstop. So okay. thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Well, folks, I just want to let you, let everyone know until next time. Thank you to Jamie Berling. Thank you to our executive producer, Winston Winnie-Price, and all of you for listening. Until next time, remember, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week.